Laura Pasquini, and I'm here with Jeff Jackson, and we're Break Drink podcast again, and back at it. A question from an audience of ours, our audience of maybe two, asked, "Why are we podcasting again, Jeff?" We have literally dozens of listeners. Dozens. By dozens, I mean maybe two. Yeah, you, me, and any other family member that's forced. You have to a listen. big family. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I said my answer was so we can talk on a regular basis because clearly we need to record our conversations uh, for our future selves. And uh, yeah, just have a little bit of banter. That's about it. When Laura and I see each other in real life, though, we're like super shy. We can't look each other in the eye um, because it's not a screen between us. No, uh, I thought it's just because we're eating tacos. That's true, too. That's true, too. Or barbecue. So. Awesome. Um, welcome, welcome to Break Drink, uh, episode yes. dos. Yeah, we, we survived the first episode. <laughs> and we're back to double up with a second episode. And, and just um, to but follow we make up. No promises. Just to follow no up about to episode one on podcasting. I finished my homework. I watched Homecoming. I actually listened to all of Startup. And I wanted to declare that Jeff Jackson is the Alex Bloomberg of higher ed, student affairs, whatever you want to call us, uh, podcasting. He should be like the podcast network. Before his time, he started this. Jeff okay. Jackson Bloomberg. So we, we have some important things. We have some actual real important things to talk about today. Totes. Before we talk about those, let's talk about the Homecoming podcast. Okay. Which is a show on the Gimlet Podcast Network. And I believe this was not edited out last time, but but um, the Homecoming podcast is kind of like the old um, pod, the the old radio days of of having like live dramas played out on the on the radio. But this is like via podcast. So for the kids, out. for the kids who go to YouTube, this is like pre YouTube days, pre television days. They called it the boob tube, uh, pre black and white TV. I know some of you are like jaws are dropping, but it's true. They didn't have any visuals; it's just all audio, audio narratives, audio shows. Yes. Um, Google FDR Fireside Chat. So, anyway, <laughs> um, so it's kind of an old genre, I guess, like old style in a new modern format, or maybe, or not as modern as you think. It's just where we record them in more modern devices, but. So it's a it's like a radio drama. So Laura, I don't think it was in eight episodes. I thought um, there was like six, but yeah, you might be right. Eight eight sounds about right. How did how did you like it? So I liked it right off the bat because I um I like Catherine Keener a lot, and so anything she does as a thespian is amazing, and I was kind of like you know it's when you start a book and you're at the beginning of a book. That's probably pretty good. You have no idea what's going on. They just throw you in the situation. I like that. So I kind of felt like I was reading a book and it was written and produced by someone who does write books. And that he actually described that afterwards. I was like, that's exactly how I felt. So I liked it. Um, the intro to it, the concept, we're not going to, I don't think we should give anything away for people who listen to it, but the episodes kind of drew out the story a bit more. Yeah. Um, I don't know, though, the end of said book, or let's say part one of the book, left me a little hanging. I was kind of, 
either disappointed or unsure or yeah. Yeah. So without giving anything away, this is my thought of it. Loved it. Like episode one, liked it. At, at least I thought it was interesting. Like I wanted to, I wanted to come back. It was a page turner. <laughs> what is so equivalent went, to a page turner of audio? It was a. It was a click, uh, click, uh, click, <laughs> not clickbait, but a, I don't know, <laughs> something like that. It was a download. It was a downloader. Downloader. So, but like two or three episodes in, it was it seemed to be like really dragging. I, I didn't see it progressing, at least not at, at a very high, uh, not not at the same rate it started with. And then all of a sudden, like it got super fast. Like the story, like when the hyperspeed and just ended. Yeah, Which I guess that means a second season. There, I think there is a second season, and I, unlike Jeff, listen to it. Um, like most of us consume media these days in batches, uh, because TV is produced and available on demand by our friends at Amazon Prime, Netflix, and others that are just doing on fully. So you don't have to wait in between, like whether it's a week or two weeks or whatnot. So Jeff listened to it episodically. Um, we kind of ripped through in a few days um, all episodes of this uh, first season. So I think it's probably different when you're you're waiting, maybe, and thinking about it more. Maybe. But now on to the real show of the day, I guess. Um, we have a guest. We do. We have our first guest of the new po- podcast, Jaleesa Arce, from Los Angeles, California. Well, I guess from Los Angeles, California, via New York, via Texas, via Mexico. I don't know if I missed this. Internship in Chicago? Yep, internship in Chicago. Somewhere along the way, because I have somewhere an autographed uh, Marcus Beasley poster you got me from an internship in Chicago. Yeah. Chicago (laughs) Fire. Um, And from Tasco, Mexico, originally. Um, So, Julissa, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So Jalisa wrote a book recently called My Underground America Dream. And why I wanted to invite her originally is because I think it's important for higher education professionals to understand what an undocumented student could be going through in college. Um, since we originally initially said, could you join us to interviewing her, a lot has happened um, in the world, and by in the world, I mean in Washington D.C. in our country, um, around um, immigration and walls and airports, and so I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that too. So, um, Jalisa, so I I don't know where to start exactly. So so let's start maybe when you came to Texas. Okay. So so how old were you when you came from Mexico to Texas? I was 11. Um, I was 11 years old when I came to to live in Texas. But prior to me coming to live in Texas, I used to come just like on vacation to visit my parents because they had already been living in the U.S. since I was three. And they would go back and forth between Mexico and the U.S. They had a business in the U.S. And, and, and so um, my, my trips to the U.S. prior to me coming to live here were as a tourist. So, you know, yeah. trips to Six Flags and, and, um, McDonald's. McDonald's was a big deal for me because <laughs> we didn't really have a lot of McDonald's in, in Mexico, definitely not where, where I grew up. Um, so yeah, but, but I was 11 when I came to, when I came to join my parents to live here. Yeah. 
what at what age were you aware of like citizenship like was that something that your parents always talked about not really i mean I, you know i my parents didn't really think that i was going to come live here and then like stay here i i, I don't even think that they thought they're going to be in the us forever right like they had a business the business was growing but but i think they always thought they would go back to live in mexico Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, when I, when I came here, I actually came here on a tourist visa. Um, I didn't come here illegally. I didn't cross, I didn't cross the border and, and, you know, actually 40% of the people who live in this country undocumented never crossed, um, the border illegally, any border, um, illegally. We, we came here with some sort of visa. So I was 14 years old when my visa expired and I became undocumented, but it wasn't really until... I was applying to college that I realized that my visa having expired and being and not not having any documents was like a really big problem. But prior to that, I just, you know, it was something my parents told me that I don't talk about. So I never talked about it with anyone. It was something that we kept hush hush um, because of a lot of the connotations that come with being labeled illegal. Um, but it wasn't until college that uh, until the college application process that I thought well this is really it's more than just not having pieces of paper like there are actual consequences to to being undocumented absolutely I was going to say that um it touched home for me a little bit because I've been documented and undocumented in this country as a Canadian from the other side of the border I grew up in Niagara Falls so crossing the border was not a big deal until a certain point, and you touch upon that, around 9-11, um, things changed. So I remember going back and forth. We had um, U.S. citizens in Canada working, Canadians in the U.S., and there wasn't really an, really an issue until that point. And more and more um, flags and stops and barriers, so like a driver's license is one. And I think about um, that attachment uh, when I was here, documented to my visa expired, which also meant my driver's license expired. And then you can't leave because if you leave and you want to come back and work, then you can't for a while and you talked a little bit about this as well um specifically being stuck here when your family is outside the u.s and i can only imagine that was a challenge yeah absolutely i mean i i um you know we could probably talk about sort of what that college application process was like and how i actually got to um the university of texas at austin which is where i met where i met jeff mm-hmm. um but i remember i think all of us remember exactly the moment we found out that planes had hit the World Trade Center. Um, I think all of us can can vividly put ourselves back in that place. Um, I think for a lot of immigrants in this country, um, that day had way more, um, I don't wanna, how do I say this? Like there were so many more consequences if you were an immigrant in this country because our immigration system changed and the way that we view immigration shifted. And all of a sudden, the Department of Homeland Security hasn't always been around, right? It's something that started after 9-11. Prior to that, immigration and, and national security were two distinct and different um, 
pieces of government. Right? Right. And then when 9-11 happened, then the Homeland Security um, um, sort of became a reality. And and the way that we view immigrants was now as a national security threat. And um, you know, that, that really sort of killed a lot of uh, dreams that immigrants had because there were so many pieces of legislature at that time that were... Um, that were being introduced, like the DREAM Act was introduced. Right. And, and that's something, uh, th- there's a lot of people who confuse the DREAM Act with DACA, um, which is an executive action that President Obama took in 2012. But the DREAM Act actually never passed. It's been you know, 15, 16 years since the DREAM Act was introduced, and it, it's never passed. And I, I was a freshman in college when the DREAM Act was introduced, and so I had really high hopes that by the time I graduated college, I would now be a college-educated Hispanic woman and um, that that would mean there would be a lot of opportunities for me because of the DREAM Act. I thought for sure in the next four years, even if it doesn't pass the first time, it'll pass in the next four sessions. Um, and then, you know, I'll be able to to live my life and contribute to this country the way that I want to. Um, and that never became a reality. And, and I and I really do believe that a big reason why is because of 9-11. Yeah, I don't, people probably don't remember before 9-11 or, but when Bush went into office, he had a lot of really good ideas around changing uh, relations with Mexico, with guest worker visas and, okay, like opening up the border in an official way to allow people to come over and work and to pay taxes and live here legally. So it wouldn't have to be a very dangerous trek um, to get here. Things weren't under the table. And it's, it's, that wasn't that long ago. And it's amazing to think um, we went from that to building, well, to potentially building walls. Um, right. Yeah. Like it's, it's, a very short time period, but yeah, nine eleven really changed a lot of things. Like NAFTA yeah. was supposed to be a, a part of like I came in on my first temporary visa, the NAFTA visa, right? So that's something that Mexicans and Canadians can apply for. There's a certain job list, and that's changed and shifted over the years. And also moving from one visa, or I guess progressing into even residency. So uh, that executive ban from Trump, President Trump, is shocking because do you know what it takes to get a PR in this country and a green card? it takes freaking forever. Like it's really impossible and you do a lot of hurdles and it costs a lot of money and people have done it different ways. And I don't, I don't know. I was kind of a a bit appalled about that notice coming in because that could happen to like, you're not still a citizen of the country. I get that, but you still are a contributing member of society in that, at that level as a green card and a PR holder. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Jalisa, when you were a student at UT Austin, were there other undocumented students you are aware of? Did y'all have like a community of uh, students with similar situations? No, and um, and I'll tell you why. So in two thousand and one was when Texas actually became the first state that allowed undocumented students to to go to college. And and you know as we're speaking, there is um, there are bills being in- introduced. Um, like literally right now, um, to take to take that away, uh, among among other things in Texas. But um, but in two thousand one, Texas passed House Bill fourteen oh three, and that's how I was able to go to college. Which is the same year that I graduated high school, so I was I got very lucky in terms of the timing, and we were the first 
class of students that were undocumented that were admitted to the university. And UT just put us in this, um, it just kind of labeled as international students. So I would, any any time that I had um, any questions or anything, I had to go to nationals, I had to go to the international students office, which is like strange to me because I didn't think of myself as like international. You know, I, I had grown up in, in San Antonio just an hour south of Austin. And, and, and so, you know, then, then meeting all these other students that were international was sort of strange because they would ask me like, where are you coming from? And I would just say like San Antonio, <laughs> very international. Um, so part of it was that I just didn't know who the other students were um, because we weren't like our own separate little group. Um, and in some ways that was helpful and others it wasn't. Um, it was helpful just to not sort of feel that uh, extra layer of, of, of um, characterization, if you will. Um, and in other ways, like I, I absolutely wish there had been some sort of support system because it was very, it was a very lonely, difficult journey. Um, and, and a lot of, uh, uh, frankly, I think one of the biggest reasons why back then, 15 years ago, when I was a freshman, I never told anyone I was undocumented because there was this really big sort of feeling of shame that came with being undocumented. It was something that I was ashamed of. Ashamed of. Um, it was uh, really... Like, I never wanted anyone to find out because I didn't know what they were going to think of me. I didn't know what did they go tell someone. And then I end up getting deported. Um, so there was like a lot of fear and shame around being undocumented. And that's why I never really told anyone. I think that the times when I did tell someone or tell people, it was like this just like total desperation of not knowing what else to do. Um, and I just didn't I knew that there had to be other students like me. I just didn't know who they were. Um, and, and, uh, you know, now one of, one of the, one of the great things that has happened over the past 15 years is that many colleges and universities across the country do have now dreamer centers in their, in their campuses, uh, uh, or if, if they don't have it as part of like sort of the administration, um, there are student led groups that, um, act as like support groups and, and, and for, and, and information sessions for undocumented students which didn't exist which didn't exist before and I wish there I wish there had been um but I guess we were all new at this right like the university was new at having these types of students yeah. the professors were new the, the 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 counselors were I mean all of us sort of didn't know how to handle um different things it was it was knowing you that was my education of understanding there were undocumented students on campus because um, I think when you told me that you weren't a citizen, I think my response is, what do you mean you're not a citizen? Yeah. Um, and and that was when I kind of realized what was ha what, what was going on at that point, because we didn't, uh, the term dreamers had not started at that point. No. Mm -mm. So it was no. a very unknown thing. Yeah. And I think even when I told you, um, I remember I had gotten like a $500 scholarship from, from, from a student organization. Yeah. And I needed to provide my social security number in order to get the scholarship, but I had no social security number. Right? And and I didn't and I, I didn't even go to you and say like I'm undocumented. And at that and at that point, the word undocumented also wasn't really used, right? So I didn't yeah, go to you yeah. and say like I'm illegal. 
Um, and I think, you know, it's because of that, that word, like just, just that phrase, like I'm illegal, just makes me feel so awful that, that I, I don't even want to say it. But, you know, I, I think I was very coy about it. I was like, well, I'm not a citizen. Like I don't have a social security number. But I wasn't like, oh, I'm in this country illegally. Yeah. Um, because I also didn't know how you would react or anybody else would react, right? But, um, but like we, fi- we figured it out and... Um, and then I think that's um, that, that's been one of the biggest um, ways in which we've made some progress around this issue is people just sharing their stories and people saying like I'm a human being and I'm undocumented and this is my story I am not here to do you harm. It's it's interesting. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, the only time, it's funny, it's come out with my students. So I, I was an academic counselor before my role right now at the university. And the only time it came out was, it was probably 10 years past that 2001, is there's an issue. So there's a health issue, or one of my students is a primary care provider for their parents, and they're all undocumented. And that's the only conversations we had as, like, a counselor in the office to say, um, to get to those issues, but they felt comfortable talking to me because they know I'm not a citizen either. So they're like, how do you go about, like, I, I wonder how many students do feel comfortable. And and this student in particular, like it was 2010 when I first started this university and she, and she, she said, I've not really talked to anyone else on campus because I don't know where to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and finding that community of support um, is developing, but I don't know if it's fully there, especially now. Julissa, how many people on campus knew? So, you know what? So, I I honestly thought I told no one. Like, when, <laughs> when I was, even when I was writing, when I was writing my, when I was writing the book, I, you know, in, in the book I write, no one knew. Like, and I really believed that. I really thought I told no one I'm undocumented. Well, recently I was on, I was, I, I posted something on, on Facebook and, um, a former classmate wrote, like, I remember when you told me. And I was like, what? Like, I honestly don't remember telling you this. And and, and I think part of that is because, like I said, when I, the, the moments that I told people, I was in this sort of, like, haze, desperation moments um, that I just don't know. I don't, I, I mean, I, I guess, like, you knew and um, maybe, like, Dr. Arellano maybe knew, but I don't really know that I also like directly told her. I think, I think when I told people, it was more just like that, like I'm not a citizen, uh, yeah. which doesn't necessarily mean you're undocumented. Um, I, but in terms of my friends, like none of my friends really knew. I remember you telling me or showing me a picture of your town mm. um, from Mexico, which I went back and Googled it before this. And it was, I guess that, I, I kind of still remember it because it's this beautiful image. It's mm-hmm. like a something you see in a travel brochure, not like a place where someone's actually from, uh, <laughs> of of of, uh, of the town you're from. And I don't remember if that was before, after, or when that was, because uh, that was a long time ago. So, but I remember you like speaking with pride about like, oh, this is the town I'm from. Yeah, um, I probably would have never interpreted that or like realized that like oh she's not a citizen because of that but um you did speak with pride about where you're from um and at least to me i'm assuming with your friends you too because you had a close group of friends there mm-hmm. yeah i had a really close group of friends and i've always you know i've always been very proud of 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 where i'm from i've always been really um have a lot of pride about being mexican and um 
being from Tasco because I think my my culture is so beautiful and rich and our history is 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 so amazing. Um, and I haven't lost that. And yesterday I was I was giving a talk to some Central American um, unaccompanied minors, uh, this group of women who who literally walked and, and, and made their way from Central America all the way to the U.S. border to seeking refuge. They presented themselves to, as refugee seekers. Um, but I talked to them, and one of the girls said, you know, when I learn English, I just want to completely forget Spanish. And I don't want to, I want to just, like, forget it. And, and that made me so sad. But, but, that, but, but a, a big part of the reason why young people feel like that feel like that is because of the shame that we make them feel like you know people always telling us learn how to speak English this is America learn how to speak English or like go back to where you came from and and so that makes people feel like they can't possibly keep their identity and be American also um, and, and and to me I can't imagine not speaking Spanish and right. and I can't imagine like not also being Mexican. I think when people people have asked me, well, you know, who, who do you um, like? Who is your loyalty to? Is it Mexico or is it the U.S.? I'm like, I think that's like asking if I love my mom or my dad more. Right. You yeah. know, yeah. like that's an impossible question because um, just because I I love being Mexican doesn't mean that I'm I don't I don't also love being American. I, I've spent the majority of my life in in the U.S. and um, you know, just like a funny anecdote. I was reading this like meme that um, was like things white people do. And I like went through all of them. And I was like, oh, my God, I do all of these things. <laughs> 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 like, oh, I literally do every single one of these things on this meme. Um, so, I, you know, and I think that's a beautiful thing about America that that we can be who we are and, and still be American. Like we get to define what it means to be an American. Identity. So, so complex, but you put it there, right? Like, I think my question would be, did you ever feel the need to, um, it's a different way of coming to a country. So my family came, my dad came from Italy to Canada and I think there's less assimilation. Um, not to say there isn't in Canada at all, but in the U S did you have a, a need or did you feel like you had to be like others or you, you want, you would talk about embracing the culture, whether it's sports and other things mm -hmm. in the book. Um, did you feel like you had to do that? Because I feel like there's some sort of pressure to be like in the U S and I don't know if I've ever got that other places that I've lived. I think it's more, it's more like the age that I came. So like okay. I was 11, right. And then yeah. I was going into high school and, and that's just, I think like a teenage Thing that you want to be liked and you want to be popular and you want to do the things that like popular kids do and you know that's why like I like did like dance team and cheerleading instead of like what I really wanted to do which is more like drama um, <laughs> yeah it was sad I was, for you when I read that I was like oh yeah, tear. we could have had an actor on our hands <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah I think that, that that was more I don't think I was so conscious about I want to assimilate to America I think I was more like I want to have friends and you know, I want to fit be, in. yeah, I want to fit in. Um, I, I joke because my partner is from Ireland and he, um, when he became a U.S. citizen, they asked if he wanted to change his name. So his name is Fierkra 
it's an Irish name. And I was like, oh, you had your opportunity to come up with your American name. He goes, well, they ask everyone, I think, because they really do. What's your, they say, what do you want your American name to be? And he should have went with Hunter, but I didn't know. Like, <laughs> I think they do this for countries who can't pronounce, there's certain pronunciations. And we have a lot of co- friends from different parts of the world that work for um, companies we work with. And so they, they've come up with their American name, which I was like, is that like a rebrand? And I was like, should you have done that for your crowd? And he's like, I don't know, maybe I should have. But like, I've never really heard that in other places. So um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they did. They do. They asked. They asked. Uh, I became a citizen in 2014, yeah. and um, I, I just like I changed. I had changed my last name because I was married, so I changed my, I changed my name back to my, to my maiden name. Cool. Do you have like yeah. a secret other one name? Because I'm, I'm trying to think about my name when I become American because I'm not there yet. So no. <laughs> <laughs> um so okay this is what this is what i wanted to to chat about before we go and i know you're i don't want to take up too much of your time um but so one is i want you to tell us like what education professionals need to like be aware of or be like looking at Mm -hmm. um because you did a keynote at Takuspa, and that was really uh, informational for me, and I, I learned a lot from that too. And that was before DACA was passed. Um, and the fact that DACA was passed and students registered is kind of scary now. Um, and like, and how things are changing so quickly. Like, how should we keep up, or resources we should look at, and things like that. Um, and if we have time, I would like for you to, to tell us one. And this can be whatever order you want it to be in. One, how you met um, Rick Perry. Mm-hmm. And two, how you got to dance at the White House? Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's so, like save the dancing for the end. I want to I want to like let's end on a high note here. So, <laughs> um, so just like in your question about like what educational professionals can do. So so the first the, the first thing I'll say I'll just I'll just give you like a quick recap of what like DACA is because I think there's so much confusion on that and 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 people. <laughs> You know, even people within the within the immigrant rights movement will call DACA the Dream Act, and it's not. Um, so DACA is an executive action that President Obama took in 2012, um, and uh, since 2012, um, young undocumented people, so uh, kids that came here before they were 16 years old, and if they were um, 29 or less uh, years old when DACA was passed um, can apply to get a two-year work permit and it prevents them from, it protects them from deportation. So that's all it is. It's a two-year work permit and it and it protects you from deportation. Um, you do get a social security number, which is how you can, you can work um, for those two years. And then you can renew it. Every two years, you can renew it. What DACA has done, it has, um, there has been about 800,000 young people who have applied to DACA who are currently, who currently hold that DACA permit. Um, and because they are now eligible to work, a lot of them have been able to go to college and work while they go to school. There have been more access to um, educational opportunities like scholarships. So that's one thing that I think um would be really helpful for educational professionals to be aware of what scholarship opportunities there are that you can share with your with your students. I mean, a lot of them are at the high school level, but there are some 
that are available for freshmen. Um, and there are some that are available for graduate students. And you know, some of the some of the really good resources, there is there's there's actually a whole organization called Educators for Fair Consideration. And Educators for Fair Consideration compiles really amazing lists of different scholarship and resources for educators to share with their students. Um, so that's what DACA is. And 95% of those 800,000 students that have DACA are either employed or and or go to school. Um, but because it's an executive order, all of us are sort of sitting here biting our nails wondering when and if Trump is going to rescind that executive order because he campaigned on on the first day in office, I'm going to rescind all of the executive actions that President Obama took. Um, so far, he has left DACA alone. Um, and a lot of us were really scared that when he made his announcement about the, the immigration and border security executive action that calls for the building of the wall and increased, um, increased border patrol and increased uh, um, ICE officers, which are the people that carry out deportations, that DACA would be included in that. And we were all glad that it wasn't um, because it really would be disastrous for 800,000 people to all of a sudden lose their job and lose scholarship eligibility and not be able to pay for school. I mean, that's um, just the, the consequences of of going from one day to the next of not being able to like show up to work anymore because your permit is no longer valid. Um, but thankfully, it, it hasn't. Um, thankfully, he's left it alone. Um, there is a bill working its way through Congress called the Bridge Act um, that would essentially give the same protections to um, to these young undocumented people, but it would be more than an executive action. It would actually be a law from Congress. So we would have um, sort of, it would be longer standing and and, and it wouldn't be so easy to, 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 to take away as an executive action. Um, but just kind of being aware of those things, uh, you know, Educators for Fair Consideration is a really great um, resource. Um, you know, I, I have a resource page on my on my website which is just lisaarsa.com uh, slash resources and um, really just I think just if, if you have a student that comes to your office and says to you like I'm not a citizen and um, I think just being kind to them and, and trying to help them um, you know, for me, it went a really long way when, when Jeff, when you tried to, to, to help me to figure out how do I get this $500 scholarship? How do I actually take advantage of something that I, that I earned? Um, and, you know, those, those kind of small things really help. Um, you know, the other thing is that because this, these young people are eligible to work, um, a lot of times, like career resource centers at different colleges and universities don't know how to deal with the students, and they think that they're not eligible to work, and therefore they don't present them with like scholarship opportunities, or in fact, they tell them like wrong information, like you're not eligible. Um, so just being aware for anybody that works in career services that in fact, these young people can work. Um, and you know, there are a lot of um, companies that employ these these students from you know, my former employer, Goldman Sachs and other, um, and other banks, like really high profile employers, 
um, employ these students because they're eligible to work. They have a work permit. So if they are qualified, um, they're definitely eligible. Um, Can I ask a question so, about the work permits? Is there a pathway for citizenship or is that just on no. its own separate? I didn't think so. Okay. No. So that, that so that's, just... That's, yeah, that's a really... That's, that's the, one of the biggest uh, distinctions between the DREAM Act and DACA. DACA is not a path to citizenship, um, is not even a path to permanent residency. It's just a temporary work permit and temporary protection from deportation. And it could be taken away if, like, let's say um, someone with a DACA permit got into trouble. Um, it could be a threat to them still. Because... Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, even even if you're a permanent resident, right? <laughs> get deported. I think you know that's, right. that's one of the. Well, we've learned that recently, that. unfortunately. Yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, people think that the only way that you can get deported is if you're walking around, you know, being illegal and like committing crimes, and that's just not that's not what happens. There are people who are here legally with green cards um, who can still get deported. There are people here who have never so much as gotten a traffic ticket and can still get deported. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the, the only, I think the only real, um, I think, for, you know, even, even I, I'm a citizen now and there's still times when I feel like scared, like I, I'm like, oh man, like I might still get deported. <laughs> um, I travel with my passport a lot, FYI, in the state, in the U.S., so just in case. And the scary thing with DACA is that when students registered, or when not just students, but when people registered for DACA, they, what you had to register, you had to give your address mm -hmm. and your phone number and content information, and so they did that with in good faith. And now they know where people are, they know where their families are potentially. Yeah. They have their fingerprints. They yeah. No, I mean it's 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 a de facto registry of undocumented young people right and it can be um i i would I, I would hope that there are protections um like constitutional protections um that prevent that information from being used for other purposes but um but that's not it's not sort of a straight shot so um that is some that is another sort of layer of worry that that these young people who have daca have to deal with now um, so, I mean, go ahead. Anyway. No, I was going to ask and answer your last two questions that you had before. Yes. So when when you were an undocumented student, you got to meet the governor. Mm -hmm. uh, how did that happen? So former Rick governor. Perry. Yeah, former governor. <laughs> I mean, God. <laughs> we'll save the prayers for later. That's fine. We'll just go to. Yeah, how did you sure. meet Rick? Um, <laughs> Perry. Chair, director of energy, or whatever his the yeah. third one I can't so, remember. Yeah. Um. So Rick Perry actually signed House Bill 1403 into law, but um, I had applied to this scholarship called the Texas Women's Scholarship, and um, you know I would I would like always look for scholarships, and um, most of them, all of them, like ninety nine percent of them, would ask for a social security number, and this scholarship didn't ask for a social security number so I applied and I was awarded this scholarship um in this really big ceremony where Rick Perry actually presented the scholarship and I ha I have it it's like here in my little office um 
And I always look at it because in it, it says that, um, remember always that you are the Texas of tomorrow and one of the great state's brightest rays of hope for the future. And I think, wow, like I was like this undocumented student and I was called like a ray of hope for the future. Um, I, I don't think that the, the scholarship was intended for undocumented students. They just didn't ask for social security numbers. So when I applied and then I got the scholarship and was presented to me in a really big ceremony by Rick Perry later when we had to figure out how to actually get the money to me um, for my for school, um, then we had to like figure out how to do it, which it ended up just like going straight to the university instead of coming to me so that we wouldn't have to worry about all of that. But, um, but that's how I got to meet, meet Rick Perry. And um, it's just like crazy, like, I got to meet Rick Perry. He gave me this scholarship when I was undocumented. And then you know, last, late last year, like October of last year, I got to go to the White House and meet President Obama um, during Hispanic Heritage Month. And I gave him a copy of my book. And like just before he left office, I got a thank you note from, from President Obama. Um, thanking me for the book and reminding me that that this is a, a nation of immigrants. And um, I just, it, like, it just, like, takes my breath away when I think about those things because yeah. I think about, like, everything I've been through and, and the difficulties and the challenges that I've had to overcome being undocumented in this country. And then, you know, I got to, like, shake the president's hand and he sent me a thank you note. No. Well. You are the ray of hope then. So that award is correct. <laughs> I do think yes. this is, I, I really hope this is true because I think you are with your book and your words, like you're one, as you said, I'm one of many stories, but you have to tell those stories because mm-hmm. I think other people will come out and feel that there is support and there's other awareness, like the resources you provided at the end. We'll definitely link to your website and others that you mentioned in your book in our show notes, because I think it's just making an awareness is what we need. So Julissa, I want to point out one thing of the book. This picture, <laughs> family taking a road trip. Yeah. The bumper sticker on your van. There's one that has I Heart Texas. The one next to that says Elvis Presley Boulevard. <laughs> they were in Memphis. Did you not read that? It's Memphis. My My mom was a huge Elvis Presley fan. And we went to Memphis and we took a tour of his mansion. What was your favorite part? Because I recently have been there as I play tourists in America. Uh, What was your favorite part of the house? Do you remember? No, I was like so little. Yeah, she was pretty small in this photo. Yeah. (laughs) But your mom loved it. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I remember like, I think like his outfits were like, I was like, oh, those outfits are pretty. Um, But yeah. Nice. So there's a lot more to Julissa's story that we didn't get to, her uh, career on Wall Street. Um, I didn't ask about the internet troll she deals with every day on Twitter that she handles very gracefully when people ask her how many times she voted illegally or um, how many jobs <laughs> people no. and um, all the stuff that she deals with um, all the time in a very graceful, uh, humble way that I would not have um, that, that she does. Um, so there's, there's a lot more there. So I really recommend, I'm like holding the book up, like for everyone watching at home, um, <laughs> out of habit for some reason. Um, but my underground American dream, 
just go to Amazon. That's what everyone does now. I was going to say where you could buy it, but just like I did, go to Amazon and, and get it. Um, but Julie said, please, I know you're doing book tours. Um, are you going to be anywhere soon? I will actually be at the San Antonio Book Festival oh, on April 8th. Um, so I'll be back in Texas uh, April 8th. And um, of course, I'm, I'm available. Like I, I actually travel um, quite a bit to colleges and universities um, to do like guest lectures and, and convocations and the sort. So um, that's I always really enjoy those, uh, getting to meet a lot of these um, young people. I'm going to Penn State in March and... Um, where else am I going? There, there are like a couple other like college stops that I'm that I'm making this year. And JuliusArce.com. Uh, you on Twitter as JuliusArce? JuliusArce. Mm, yeah. And um, oh, the Ascend Fund. Quickly, a quick plug for the Ascend Fund. So the Ascend the Ascend Educational Fund is a scholarship and mentorship program that I started with some friends in New York um, for immigrant students, regardless of their immigration status. So some of our students are actually U.S. citizens, but they have two parents that were born outside of the U.S. Some of our students have DACA. Some of them didn't qualify for DACA, so they're completely um, without any documents. Uh, we really don't don't ask for any of um, any immigration status. Um, we just really believe that every young person deserves access to the same educational and professional opportunities. And in the last four years, we've given out um, over $200,000 in scholarships. And we're hoping that this year we will give out $100,000. Great. Um, Julissa, I'm super proud of you. Every time I see your, uh, an article on CNN or you on TV somewhere, I'm always excited to see you on there. Uh, so keep doing the good work. Thank you. Thanks for coming, Julissa. And um, feel free to come back anytime to give us any um, updates or things to be aware of as, as things progress. Great. Thank you so much. Bye. Thanks, Julissa. Nice to meet Bye. you, Julissa. Bye. You too. Bye. All right, Jeff, thanks so much for bringing Julissa to chat with us about her book and her experience. So I'm really grateful that you stay in touch with your students as you do, uh, and you have some amazing students like we all have had to tell their story. Yeah, so uh, she has such an incredible story, and she was successful on Wall Street, which we didn't even, we even touched that that part of it. And right. we had, you know, we had coffee a couple of years ago when she was in town for Thanksgiving, and I was like, you should like go talk to campuses and higher education people about it. And and she has done that, and and a lot more. And she's, um, uh, I was so happy for her when she got to go to the White House and meet the president and. I think that's fantastic. Well, Jeff was so yeah. excited about this. Um, like we talked about talking with her and interviewing, and it's not just because we need other people on the show, but maybe we do. Um, but you were so excited that I was like, I'm going to get this book. So I got this book Saturday yeah. and like couldn't put it down, and I recommend it. Um, I don't think you make a lot of money off books, but it's good to read it for a story and, and know that there's other yeah. narratives out there that um, I definitely can understand and relate to. And we'll link to some of the resources in the book and that Julissa shared. And if I were an advisor and I knew I would have uh, some students who could be doc undocumented, uh, this would be a great thing to give them mm -hmm. um, for them to see someone who's, who's, you know, gone in front of them and kind of paved the way in a lot of ways um, and has been successful and just, and also just encouragement. Um, we, 
you know, she talks about the anxiety she had at almost a panic attack, or it was a panic attack when she got to New York. That's how she opens the book. I can't believe she didn't have it, like five dozen of those like in college as she's um, as she's being an academically an academically rigorous program and doing well in school and um, uh, and and still still having to deal with the stress without telling anyone. So and if your campus, um, like our campus, we actually had a forum on immigration and DACA. Uh, it was planned and then expanded because the immigration executive order. Um, but we had one yesterday afternoon, and I, I encourage your presidents and your groups to have fireside chats, like have a co- open conversation about. We don't know what's going on, but we want to talk about it. And some other our states are a bit more uh, pressing in this issue, but also share resources like the Educators Fair consideration. We'll link to that um, because I think. Knowing more can only help you do your job better more and support learners, um, maybe support your staff and faculty at your institution. You don't know. Like, you could be a resource by just knowing more and seeing, and being aware of what's out there and, and listening to them. Absolutely. So that's all for this week. Um, you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Jeff Jackson. And I'm at Laura Pasquini, and we're always at Break Drink. You never know what we might post there, so... Um, you like us, you have a comment, tweet at us, send us a message and share us with your friends and family so they can hear more about our random chats until next time.